Hello and welcome to another edition of the Standard Room Only Podcast. Yes, I'm your host, Ben Standig, and I cover the Washington Commanders for The Athletic, which means I was out in Ashburn on Tuesday dealing with the rain and the cold a little bit and all that just for you. Uh, because the Washington Commanders were back on the field first time this offseason with this group, uh, phase three of OTA, and we had a chance to go out there and see Carson Wentz do his thing and various people on defense do their thing and the rookies from Jahan Dodson on down out on the field. And we also noticed things like who wasn't there. Um, and even as we'll get to in a second, somebody who was there who maybe didn't do quite as much as people may have thought. So it was an interesting day here with me today to discuss that. I had my friend with the Washington times, Matthew Paris on, we shared our observations throughout the day, a lot about Carson Wentz, Curtis Samuel, an interesting day for sure. Uh, we also of course discussed no Terry McLaurin, uh, who is, as we know, uh, had planned to skip the on-field portion of OTAs that started today, and he was not there. He has not been with the team since the draft, I was told. So that is a, a thing we're going to have to keep an eye on, obviously. Chase Young, not there either. That one's a little more confusing because we were led to believe by Ron Rivera previously that um, he would be there, but he wasn't. Matt and I talked about that. And we, you know, we talked a lot of fun stuff too. Who's some maybe sleepers to keep an eye on, some other positives that stood out, a lot about Carson Wentz, as I said. So we'll get to that in a few moments here. But I do want to give you some other news here at the top. Uh, some other things. Um, I'm talking to you guys on Tuesday night. So perhaps if you've been on Twitter or on the athletic, you've already seen by now. But I had a story up after. Uh, after practice, uh, I did my sort of full breakdown uh, of the day, but news in there included that Jerron Payne was not a full participant today. He was there, but he was not participating in team drills. And because it's OTAs, not everybody is a full participant in everything. You give the veterans you know, you want them to get out there and do some things, but you don't necessarily push them at all times. And so when at one point I observed Deron Payne walking off the field, there's two different practice fields, primary fields. There's a third field where basically the injured players are. At one point I happened to be over on near the far field. Uh, I was basically one of two people there and the, Deron Payne, all the players moved to the other main field. Deron Payne walked to towards the side field where, like I said, the injured players like Logan Thomas and uh, Chase Rouillet, Tyler Larson, Samus Reyes were. And I immediately asked, I was like, well, does he, is there an injury here? Um, I was later told no, but this led to the story. And the story that I was, that I reported today was that Deron Payne, specifically did not participate in team drills because of anger regarding his contract situation. As we know, he's going to the final year of his five-year rookie deal team option this year. He's getting over $8 million this year, but Jonathan Allen, as we of course know, was given an extension before training camp. And while there's plenty of time before training camp, 
I reported a few weeks ago that Deron Payne, they are not expected to extend Deron Payne. Um, obviously, a lot can change between now and next offseason. But that was my expectations, or that's what I was told. And in addition to that, that they have made him available in, in trades, not necessarily being overly aggressive, but making him available. And then since then, of course, they drafted Darian Mathis in the second round. They needed depth, of course, behind Allen and Payne. But nonetheless, they drafted a guy who could be the starter next year if Payne were to, to leave. And now this information that Deron Payne frustrated and then some says he's not going to participate in team drills. So um, that's that. Now, just to add a little clarification, you know, nowhere do I say in my story that he left in a huff. You can be angry and handle your business calmly. So I, you know, I didn't say there was an altercation. I didn't say he raised a stink. I didn't say he yelled. I just said he walked off the field and independent, angry over the situation. Um, I did check with the team for a comment before publishing the story to say, hey, here's what I'm kind of going to kind of consider here, go what I'm going to go with. And they chose to not comment. Uh, subsequently, I was told by a source that uh, Deron Payne did participate in a post-practice lifting session and was in some team meetings. And that's fine. It only goes to the point of saying that he wasn't irate. But again, I didn't say that he was. I did tweet out that he walked off the field, which he did. But if some people want to infer, you know, take the inference that that meant he was he was visibly angry in that moment, not what I was reporting. I'm reporting he was angry, but not necessarily, he, you know, again, to the point, nobody nobody saw this. Uh, he, he it was not asked. Ron Rivera was not asked about anything. You know, this didn't he didn't walk off the field miles away from other human beings. You would have seen something if it was a big stink. It wasn't. But anyway, the larger point, though, is there's still some issues going over here with Deron Payne's contract. We've talked about this a bunch already. The idea of can you really justify paying or extending all four of these defensive linemen? My my standard answer is no. That was even before they took on the Carson Wentz contract, even before the Terry McLaurin situation is kind of what it is. So there's a lot to do here to consider something we'll see what happens here going forward is he going to is this going to happen again if this is a one-off then maybe it's not that big of a deal but i don't think it's going to be a one-off we will see over the coming days on that so something to keep an eye on there uh if i didn't already say because i did talk about this with matt but uh so no terry mclaurin no chase young montez sweat also not there uh, an excused absence though per rivera he's expected to be there on wednesday also no cam sims also um an excused absence so i don't know when he will be back but we'll, we'll we'll keep an eye on them uh the media was out there today tuesday the team will be practicing the next two days but no media access we'll go back next week so it's basically one day a week for the next three weeks for us that's how that's going to go so uh plenty more to come here about the ota day uh, matt and i went through all, both sides of the ball um, i think we forgot to mention the returners so i'll just mention it here uh, alex erickson uh, you know, one of the few free agents they signed was one of those options. Jahan Dotson, the first round pick was back there. Dax Milne was back there. And 
Ezard, one of the uh, undrafted free agents as well. Just mentioning it because we didn't mention it before if you're interested in the candidates. In addition, I said that Chase Ruier and uh, Tyler Larson, who's dealing with an Achilles injury, were on the side field. With those guys over there, Wes Schweitzer was kind of dealing with the center spot, which means we didn't get a real sense of who's the right guard. Is it Wes Schweitzer or is it Trey Turner for another day? That's that. In addition, I will note part of Matt and I, uh, the conversation Matt and I had towards the end uh, was about big news of, of, of Monday, and that is the notion that the commanders could be eyeing a stadium location in Woodbridge. There was obviously a lot of discussion and confusion initially. Uh, multiple reports, ESPN, Rich and Times Dispatch had some version of that they purchased land. Uh, the location was a little mixedy, but ultimately purchased land sort of in the Woodbridge area, uh, 200 acres for $100 million. What it seemed confusing to me initially, but it seemed, it appears that they didn't actually buy the land, but they have an option to buy the land. Um, that's according to multiple reports. Put all that aside, Matt and I will discuss what we think of it all, what makes sense, what doesn't make sense. I clearly am not a person who believes that this team should be moving far away from the city. If we're talking Virginia, Dulles would seem to be as far out as I could even conceive. We've normalized Dulles Airport in terms of being near the city. Beyond that, no offense to anybody who lives out there. I'm just saying, come on, no, can't do it. (laughs) But Matt and I will get into that more as well as some more OTA thoughts as well uh so that's where we're at here uh, you can go read my o- ota observations on the athletic as well as more on the drawn pain situation and of course if you haven't already done so subscribe to this podcast subscribe to the athletic as well uh but for this podcast the last few days had rick doc walker on had my colleague uh mike smeltz uh from the athletic uh, a bunch of a bunch of fun guest Chris Russell, Brad Spielberger from Pro Football Focus. So a lot of fun stuff, but now here's some more fun stuff. Let's get to it. Here's my conversation with Matt Paris from the Washington Times. Breaking down OTAs, what's going on with that? We'll do that right now here on the Standard Room Only Podcast. All right. Joining me here as promised, you know him, you love him. He is the Washington Commanders beat reporter for the Washington Times and the person that I'm trying to beat in our personal top chef head-to-head competition he is uh matthew paris matthew underscore paris p-a-r-s on twitter um would you wait that p-a-r-a-s did i say that wrong yeah no 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 i, I thought you just went p-a-r-s so. oh i thought look it's possible i get <laughs> you know I was, I was trying to think what how was that what was it gonna be my top chef uh quip back to you about who's gonna win our competition do we, do we want to say or I I have Buddha, so that um, you, but Matt has like the front runner, but I've got like three people who are, you know, got a puncher's chance, right? What? Don't you just have Sarah and Evelyn? Oh, I have two people. Yeah, we're we're two apiece, and I have Demar. Right. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I you know you you're the odds-on favorite, but you had the front runner last year, and I uh, miraculously can't. You you blew a three-one lead. So yeah, exactly. Um, for those uh, uninitiated, we have a, a lunch bet or a, a meal bet, and we had completely forgot about it until Ben and I were out to dinner one time, and I was like, "Oh wait, <laughs> Top Chef!" And so I made Ben pay, but I didn't rake you over the coals too bad. So some Thai food. 
<laughs> no, yes, you, you were you were you were kind to me. All right, well, we'll see how kind we are to uh, to the commanders now. It was day one of OTAs. Um, you know, there's only there's only so many people who are out there for these things. Obviously, no TV. I mean, there's uh, cameras there, but like the for the local station, but like that's not you know you can't watch practice. That's why these things are always kind of important. I think for us to help shape what we saw. Uh, so we're going to do that here. Let's start with the main event. No point in messing around. First chance to see Carson Wentz out there. Um, I got a, I got a feel today, Matt, for how the Carson Wentz experience is going to go in terms of social media, at least. I, 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 you know, I couldn't keep track of everything that everybody was tweeting today. So I'm sure you had some gems. Um, like I wasn't tweeting a ton uh, it, really at all, but like, so at, we'd already watched a few different drills and I hadn't, you know, he, he's, he hit some, some deep shots. I know there's one to Deami Brown sort of down the right sideline. Um, his, his size really stands out, especially when he's standing next to Taylor Heineke, you know, the yeah. arm strength on just like sort of the quick throws in the, in the flat, like you could really see, he's yeah. really got some power on those throws. And so T.A., whatever, it's no big deal. He, every quarterback at some point throws a, p- a pass that's not that great, or in this case, Corn Elder, one of their reserve defensive backs, if you know who that, if you remember him from the deep roster, um, made a nice play on the ball and picked off a pass. So I tweeted, Carson Wentz thoughts one hour into T.A. I really think this is a set me up. This is going to be really an absolutely nonsense observation, basically, right? Dude is tall. Dude has a cannon for a right arm. Dude throws a quality deep ball. Dude just tossed an INT corn elder with the grab. The, the tweet has like a thousand likes, all that. But I'm reading through some of the comments and some people are irated me for focusing on the, he threw an INT. I'm like, are you serious? Yeah. It's one hour into this thing. I said a bunch of other good things that were like reasonable or nice. And this is how I think the Carson Wentz experience is going to be. Plus there were a bunch of Colts fans jumped in. He was trending. My colleague with the it, 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 who covers the Colts, Stephen Holder, screenshotted the trending and and jokingly blamed me. Like I just think this is where we're at with Carson Wentz. It's almost going to be if we don't tweet perfect at all times, people are going to go nuts because he is at the end of the day, good or bad, a polarizing figure. That's my just basic takeaway on Carson Wentz today. Yeah, completely agree. I mean, the way I described that tweet is I or the, the way I described that pick was. Hey, he had some nice throws to Dotson and Brown, but he was just picked off by Corn Elder. Came back with a dot dart to Dotson, and while that might be some play-by-play, like that—that's what happened. And yeah, I got the same thing of just people kind of freaking out. And I, I think it—the it, Corn Elder element adds a lot to this, right? It's right, not—it's right, not Kendall Fuller. Yeah, it's not Kendall Fuller, William Jackson. My favorite thing I saw today was some guy replied to JP that instead of Revis Island, it's Cornhole. <laughs> really, really. Uh, if Corn Elder was actually like you know prominent playing time, that that's a nickname I think should really stick. And I forget that dude's name at the moment, but props to him because it's really good. But yeah, no, I, I thought he looked fine. I mean, it was really rainy out there. I think the thing that stuck out to me was just the the diversity of options that he was. You know, Terry McLaurin wasn't there, so he kind of really had to spread the ball around. And they normally spread the ball on around in OTAs anyway, but I thought Curtis Samuel actually looked pretty good. You know, I thought he looked fast, which I I wouldn't have said last year at all. I know he brings speed, but it looked like he was actually at full speed rather than just saying he was. 
And then uh, someone like De'Ami Brown, you know, Cam Sims wasn't there today. And he's a guy that uh, if we were to say, like, if I were to compile a list of where does this guy fit in, he would be near the top of the list for me in terms of I don't really know what De'Ami Brown's going to do next year, where he fits into all this and how he's going to get time or, or those sorts of things. But you saw the potential of his size and speed, what attracted to him, you know, why they were attracted to him last year. And I thought he was a good fit with Carson Wentz, especially since Wentz seems to like taller receivers. Um, it, it, yeah, I was, I was, I was kind of surprised by Brown as surprised as you can be from someone in OTAs the first hour in. Sure. Well, and, you know, and as, as we know, obviously Terry McLaurin, not there. Also Cam Sims wasn't there. Now McLaurin is a, Contract deal, Camp Sims. Uh, since we're Rivera, more or less said it. He 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 he, he is uh, the, the, he he has he has a new baby, so that that just happened. So that's why he wasn't there. I, I presume he'll be back. Um, this uh, yeah, I don't know. Some point here, but he was excused. So anyway, you had two of their whatever two guys were out, so that gave a guy like Deami Brown some more work. Um, but just to go back to 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 Wentz for a second, like again. It's an OTA, you know, it's pretty limited to what's going on out there on both sides of the ball, all that stuff. Um, but at a very basic level, like if, if you've been objective about any of this and just take away all the emotions, ignore whatever Jim Ursay has been saying, or he, he put aside the compensation Washington gave up and just focused on what it is that they now have. I think today, like, was an example of you seeing why there's intrigue with this. You know, again, no knock on Taylor Heineke. But like I tweeted out a picture of the two of them stretching side by side. And like the, a lot of the comments were some version of, I think Kevin Sheehan tweeted something like quote tweeted, like, hi, let me introduce you to my son or something. Cause like the, the size difference is big. Again, it's not a knock on Heineke, but it's, it's, a, it's a more desirable trait to have the bigger quarterback to see over the line. We mentioned the arm strength, same thing. Cause Heineke was also throwing today and you know, did fine it's amazing how i don't know how much any of us really paid attention to him i don't think we even paid a ton of attention to sam howell at least i will admit i i didn't if wentz wasn't throwing i was kind of looking kind of elsewhere but anyway um the differences with what wentz can do and then you talk about the arm strength the ability to get the ball down the field you mentioned a guy like deami brown like even if he's the fifth guy or whatever like they have people that can get the ball downfield but more importantly they have a quarterback now who opens up the whole field for them um, who opens up the playbook for Scott Turner. And it's only day one of OTA workout. They've been doing other things, but on the field. And I think to, to go positive to, cause that's how I'm, I'm Mr. Positive, Matt. <laughs> you like the, the, what I saw today, I saw a guy who was overthrowing some receivers early. We mentioned the pick. I wouldn't say he, like if I was just grading the performance, you know, kind of Midland, I wasn't blown away. But for what it can be, because that's what today for me was, what can it be? I, I, not that it was new, but it's just to see it happen out there to me was notable. And I thought, therefore, like, I see why pe people could be excited about what could, what could happen here. Yeah, it was something I was trying to wonder is, you know, how much of the script was trying to tailor toward things that he likes to do. Like, I actually noticed that a lot with Heineke because Heineke took a lot of deep shots and I think that's what the offense called for. And, you know, you notice some of those passes and they're kind of wobbly and they miss some guys and, you know, he kind of had an uneven day, but 
I didn't notice that unevenness with Wentz because I think it just comes a lot more natural to him with those type of throws. You know, they weren't always the splashiest that, you know, there weren't some great, amazing catches all the time, but I just think they come into a natural rhythm and that's what Washington needs. You know, I know Wentz was really uneven the last two years in Philadelphia and Indianapolis, but they need someone who can at least lift this offense to average territory because they really haven't had that since Kirk Cousins. And, you know, if it just comes naturally to him, um, if he's willing to make those type of throws, then yeah, I, I think they'll be in a pretty good place. But uh, crisp is the way I described him in my lead. And uh, I think that's fair. Yeah, yeah for sure. Um, so where else can we go with the offense? So yeah, like I said, we meant, oh, so Curtis Samuel, let's just go to him because obviously, you know, I, I don't always have, I mean, I'll like, I don't always have a direct plan when I go into some of these events. I just kind of, I want to see what happens. I want to sort of pigeon my hole myself just prepare, but I don't want to pigeonhole myself. And today was a day where like, again, not much happened on the field. People that were out, I, you know, I already talked about the pain stuff and all that, but like on the field, there were a lot of interesting things happening. One of them is Curtis Samuel, because obviously last year was an unmitigated disaster. By every in every scenario, and and it wasn't like it wasn't just that he wasn't practicing, and it was this big mystery is what was happening. But whenever we like talk to him, it always is like, oh boy, this is a depressing moment here. He just seemed incredibly down, and and I get it, right? He obviously was going through something, even if it was just the injury. I thought today was notable, not even just because of what he did on the field, though. Like you said, he seemed quick. I thought his personality off the field when we spoke to him. Um. Uh, at at the at the mic it wasn't really a podium but he spoke at, at at the mic i'm trying to find the the quote here really quick but okay so basically he said um where where did he say this here he said uh basically that last year his part of his issue was with his hamstring injury like he had a fear that it was going to basically pop at some point that he, if he turned on the jets, he, it would pop. And then he said, he kind of got past that. And I asked him, um, well, how did you do that? And he talked about that. He went down to Miami to one of these notable personal trainer or training groups down in Miami. And that he said, quote, um, my trainer, my training down there, he just pushed me to my limits. And that's what I kind of want him to do. I want him to put me in situations, put me in different positions to give me the confidence to know my body's right. Um, and then he continues to go on. I told him when I first went there, hey, I don't know. Even though I know I felt good, I'm like, I don't know, just because the lack of confidence, but I feel great now. And sometimes when players tell us, oh, I feel great. I've had a great offseason. I don't always buy it. You and I cover the Wizards. I'll just say there were some players, they would say some stuff I'm like, eh, I don't know. Okay. I did kind of buy this. He, he, he seemed like a genuinely different human being than the one that we all dealt with last year and obviously we all hope it works out for all these people just as another human traveling the planet but like for a guy that was going through so much last year at a minimum just not playing i my sense was that we had a different person here he seemed much more upbeat and again we'll see what happens on the field but i felt i would feel confident about curtis samuel this year more than i would have this morning i will agree to that except to note that when he first signed here he was a lot like that in terms of you know if you remember how he described interacting with Terry McLaurin in college and then being roommates and 
yeah. him showing Terry how to dance. That that we saw that side of Curtis Samuel again, and that was fun. I mean, just from a reporter standpoint, the thing that I, I thought was a little odd in his po- in his press conference was he said that there wasn't really any motivation, but then I pulled up the the transcript of him at the end of the season last year and he was like oh yeah i'm motivated to go out there and prove that i can still be a top receiver and today he was like oh no i don't need to prove anything like i'm good but i think in some sort of way that reflects his confidence because he actually knows he can do that again and so maybe he's already proved it to himself but yeah you know it was funny at the beginning of practice or near the when they went into team drills they ran like this uh motion i don't know if i'm allowed to describe this technically but they ran this like jet motion where he was cutting across and he slipped because of the rain and he kind of fell down and you know you see Curtis Samuel fall down after everything and he kind of like just takes your breath away a little bit that you're nervous that he got hurt but he popped right up and he was fine and he kind of laughed about it afterwards when I asked him about it um and so yeah you know I I thought he looked good and the speed to me is that that's what really popped because I just don't think he was ever right last year from that standpoint Right. And, you know, it was pointed out to him that like, it's odd, right? Okay. Here he is. Now he's practicing again. We'll, we'll see what happens. He's practicing now doing this thing. And now Terry McLaurin's not here. These two guys, like the whole point of this whole thing was not just for Washington to get another receiver, but reunite these two dudes from Ohio state and BFFs or whatever. And that hasn't quite happened um, yet. We'll, we'll see when, when, when that happens. Uh, Let me, before we go to the defense, let me bridge the two here by just asking you about the guys who aren't there. Terry McLaurin being one of them, uh, you know, I've already sort of stated at the top kind of the basic of why, and I think most people kind of get it. Where, where, what's your level of concern right now? And I don't want to say a one to 10 scale, like what were you at? You know, Ron Rivera said, he kind of tried to brush it off when we asked, but he basically said it'll be done soon or whatever. He said he kind of, I mean, I'm not, Fine, that per se, but just that's kind of what he said. He didn't say much. But where okay. are you at with this? Was your scale right now? I think uh, relatively unworried about it. Um, not so much because of Ron Rivera's messaging, but just more so the timeline of it. If it drags into training camp, if he wants to hold out of training camp, which I'd be really surprised if he did, but um, it's kind of hard to because now is. the fines are mandatory. So really, the players are kind of they, they hold in, and I guess that brings us to a natural transition of the defense and what Deron Payne was doing today. But um, yeah, it would just, if it drags into training camp, because that they've struggled to get deals done, obviously Brandon Sheriff, but when they did get Jonathan Allen done, that was right before training camp. So that to me is the more logical. All right. How is this going to go? That's when maybe I would start to get worried a little bit, but yeah, right now uh, it's fine that he's not here. Um, so other person who, so as I said, Cam Sims wasn't there, excuse absence, Montez Sweat not there, excuse absence, Chase Young not there, so eh, kind of excused, but not really. And part of the issue here is okay, he's rehabbing the ACL tear, he's been in Colorado for a chunk of this offseason, okay, but back in March. At the owners meeting, when we kind of asked some version of, hey, Ron, Ron, do you think he's going to be here? Oh, yeah. I think that Chase had that this whole offseason has been a bit of, a, of an eye opener for for him. You know, he kind of maybe sees a little things that kind of went wrong last year and he anticipates that he will be here. Spoiler, he wasn't there. 
Now, again, he's, he wasn't going to be on the field anyway, but there are other things happening. There are meetings happening. And like I, 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 I was, when we were walking around um, the, we were allowed to walk around the full perimeter of the field. And at one point I, I, a player kind of caught my eye or vice versa. And just was like, you know, happy to be back. He, he was like, oh, I mean, you know, get to see everybody again. It's not just about practice. You get to see all your friends and stuff. Okay. Well, whatever it is, the guy who's the captain, all that, not there. So the same question to you, sort of like, you know, and I, I before I think I said one to 10. So now I'll say big deal, little deal, no deal, just to shake it up. Um, you know, I'll go big deal for this. I, and only in the sense that it clearly matters to Rivera or it just, sorry, I'm just trying to think of how I want to phrase it. Like, it, it's really just bizarre to me, especially because he was at the start of OTAs for the strength and conditioning program. You know, and maybe there is a, a valid reason to do the rehab in Colorado versus here. Maybe the altitude helps him recover quicker. But, you know, for him not to be there, it's like they're counting on him to, to be a leader. And who knows how much value you can get out of OTAs. But to have those questions after last year and, you know, it, who knows if that contributed to the slow start or not, but it, it clearly mattered to Rivera as the season went on and for him not to, to be there for this session. It, it's just, it's really perplexing to me. It just seems like such an easy thing to avoid, you know, it, yeah. it just, I, I don't get it personally. And that's yeah. yeah. And I'm with it. I mean, like if I, if I followed the rules that I just made you play by, I would probably say big deal. But what I'm going to say is to, because I'm making up my own game here, I'm going to say it's sort of an incomplete because what I need to know is when, whenever he does come back, what does he say? Because when Ron, because I think the bigger thing that Rivera said at the owners meetings, and I don't have the quote exactly, but he sort of, right. He said some version of the chase young, he thinks had a sort of an awakening based on what happened last season and sort of realizing that. And, you know, when we, when right before he got hurt, they were coming off the bye week going into the Tampa game. And I think maybe have been you asked him about, did his his how he handled last off season, skipping the OTAs, doing the promotional stuff? Did that contribute? Did he think to what happened? And his response was basically, "Hey, I gotta go. I gotta maybe <laughs> right. I gotta get some money. You would have done the same thing. I don't so much care that that's what he actually thinks. Except at that point, they were two in." Uh, six they had just lost four in a row they they should be humbled and he didn't seem to grasp what is needed to to go there and my point is would be again i say this all the time people grow and mature in different ways i'm still waiting for my maturity to kick in but if you're going to be put yourself out there as this leader this captain whatever you kind of have to the, the responsibility comes with that and if you don't really get you don't even seem to sort of get what's going on at that point that's concerning. So when Rivera says he thinks there was some sort of an awakening, okay, I'm going to not saying I, I don't know. I, I want to see what it says. So I'm sort of, I think you're right. It's a big deal, but I will, I'm willing to pull it back. If he comes in and says, boy, I really screwed the pooch last year. And I reason I stayed away this time was I spoke to the doctors and we had his plan and, and Rivera did say that there was, he's not going completely rogue that, that that's why I'm not, didn't classify what kind of excused absence it was or, or not, but like there seems to be some consultation, some plan. So maybe there's a reason, I don't know. Colorado's got 
the better altitude. Maybe he wants to be near Nikola Jokic. I, I don't know. But whatever the deal is, we'll see. I'm curious what his attitude is when he um, when he comes back. Um, to that end, and to the point of, like, Deron Payne sitting at team drills, like, while practice was happening, like, at one point I did look like, okay, so James Smith-Williams and Casey Tuhill are back on the ends, right? Yeah. And then uh, Allen – so Payne was doing some individual stuff. So that's why I was more noticing it. Like they were there, but like that meant like only Jonathan Allen was effectively the only real starter was out there today. And part of their other concern is of course, the, the, the limited depth they now have um, really across the defense, but on the defensive line. So um, again, it's one OTA, the, the, the season's in four months, we can all calm down, but you know, it, it sort of highlighted to me that, Hey, we don't really know much about the backups to the, to the vaunted front four, there's a lot of question marks and, you know, we'll hope that everybody's there for week one, but th- that was something else that sort of today sort of jumped out to me. Yeah. I mean, we talked about it all last year was whether they would try and add a veteran and they didn't. And But James Smith-Williams, Casey Tuhill had their moments, Shaka Tony and William Bradley King too, you know, they, they popped uh, on some, like in, in certain situations, but yeah, you know, this is a group that lost, Matt Ioannidis and Tim Settle in the offseason. They drafted Vidarian Mathis, but it just it doesn't we don't know how they're gonna perform right now. And it's just this defense for it to take a step forward, I think really needs to bank on the continuity that they have. You know, you look at the secondary, most of the, the pieces are the same. They still have the same core pe- people that should be important contributors in Jonathan Allen, Chase Young, Montez Sweat. But it just it seems like it's hard for them to all click at the same time. And that's what this part of the year is for. And of course it's voluntary, but this defense is running out of time and running out uh, you know, for excuses. At some point, they're gonna have to put their potential there, especially as guys are starting to get paid. And that that's exactly where we're headed with Deron Payne. I mean, you've reported they're not going to give him a contract. Um that they've quietly shopped him in, in trades. And yeah, it, it's, it's just, they need to start actually putting it together versus who are we going to pay? What are we going to do that the, the plan actually needs to start coming together? Right. And, you know, I guess just to give some positive spin, perhaps spin to, to the defense, you know, it is notable. We spent all last year, especially the first half of the year discussing how poor the communication was with the back end of the defense. Well, they all seem to be talking a different story now. We heard Jack Del Rio the other day, you know, sort of fetch about what happened last year. Some guys skipping phase two of OTAs and whatever else and saying it's much better this year. And William Jackson seemed to be expressed, expressed the same tone today. He kind of admitted, you know, hey, last year was really a foreign, the whole world was kind of foreign to me coming in and playing zone, but he kind of figured some things out during the year. I think he said, I think somebody asked, I think he said around the Tampa game, I think is when he kind of to start to, to get going. And, um, you know, they do bring back, I know Landon Collins is gone, but he was a linebacker, right? Uh, but they bring back their top four defensive backs from last year. That's some continuity. There are questions about behind them, but okay, so there's some continuity there. And there does seem to be some positive about that. Now, you need everything to be clicking. You need the pass rush to help the secondary and all that. And we may not see that. Look, even if Chase Young is here, again, he may not be practicing till I don't know when, right before training, right before 
week one or start a training camp. We'll, we'll see. Um, but that's at least some positive signs. I thought from that end, can I, can I tell you what maybe was the craziest thing I thought of the day? Speaking of the secondary. Sure. Like uh, I'm look, I'm watching, you know, you're looking around you're trying to, they, they mix and match a lot. You know, you, you can't always tell first team, second team or anything like that, but like, you know, you, tr- you get some sense of things and you know, I'm looking over at the defense at one point. And I'm like, oh, okay, Troy Apke's in there, yes. but uh, whatever. I'm, you know. Okay, sure. But then he was in there again. And when I say in there, I mean, like, there was, like, a bunch of starters out on the field. And then he was in there again. And then there was a point where they kind of went to special teams, which is obviously what Troy Apke kind of does now. And I was walking the perimeter of the field, and I see, like, Kendall Fuller sitting out watching William Jackson, Cam Curl, and Troy Apke's with them. And I'm like, what is happening here? And also he was playing safety. It looked like as opposed to corner. So the whole combination was bizarre. We needless to say, I don't think, I don't, what did we, I don't think we asked Rivera about him today. No, Troy Apke, all due respect is not a day one question type of guy. Yeah. yeah. He did get, he did get mentioned in my uh, story today. Cause I was like, I need another bullet point. It's like, okay, let's go with him. But that to me was bizarre. I'm not even going to make a thing. We don't even have to discuss whatever it is. I'm going to assume that he didn't suddenly become Ronnie Lott, the secondary, and that he's mainly a special teams guy. Um, I don't know. I'm trying to think. Was there? It feels like the secondary was largely intact, right? I don't think. Yeah. Yeah, right? Right. I mean, they were still going with Fuller and Jackson as their main one. The thing that stuck out to me is just how many combinations this defense could really go with in the secondary if they want to be flexible or versatile, you know, they could go back to the Benjamin St. Juice on the outside and go with Kendall Fuller on the inside. Now that had mixed results last year, but St. Juice showed some stuff. They have Danny Johnson that you can play the slot. That three safety look that you mentioned with Apke, it looked like Bobby McCain was in that slot role. I'm hesitant to call it the Buffalo nickel just because we don't know for sure, but it seemed like he was playing closer to the line of scrimmage like Landon Collins used to last year. Um, And and so that I I thought was interesting to me. Apke's spot is really more, it comes off to me as a placeholder until Percy Butler is ready to try and actually push for some playing time because we saw today with the rookies that they really kind of stuck to their spots. We didn't really see Brian Robinson run with the first team at all. Um, Cole Turner didn't get any really first team snaps even though, you know, Logan Thomas isn't there and John Bates. There were opportunities to, to throw those guys up there, but it just seemed like, all right, you're going to run with the twos. You're going to learn the fundamentals, and then we'll mix you in at some point. It would just – besides Dotson, of course, because you're a first-round pick and that's different. But besides that, it seemed like everyone kind of just stuck in their their places. But to me, Apti is more of a, a holdover until Butler or someone else may be ready. Right, right, for, for sure. And obviously, to – I think, again, all levels of the defense, if they're going to add veterans, to me, it's that side of the ball. You could pick any of those three levels and say, we're going to bring in somebody else. And I probably wouldn't argue, but at least the concept. So we'll see. Um, you know, Rivera, I asked Rivera kind of about that. And, you know, he gave the standard answer. We want to see some of our younger guys and all that kind of stuff. And I think I, I think I said this out loud and I, I right. I think I asked, um, but is there become a point where like, uh, you know, your defensive coordinator just said, <laughs> that uh not guys not being around last year for some of these things led to problems in the season so you're delaying this as it could be a problem and you know no didn't say much i just think that's a notable point if you're i I assume del rio was sort of covering for himself a little bit 
with those comments because I can't really believe that that practices in in April and May impact what's happening in October. But I wanted to at least sort of say that out loud because it is it is like like for example, I still have no idea who the third linebacker is. I mean, David Mayo was is effectively the third guy right now, but. Uh, you know, I mean, that, that can't really be the real answer. And you keep, I mean, they played some version of five or more defensive backs, roughly 75% of the time last year, according to, uh, I think it's true media that I got that from. They're still 25% of the other time. Plus what if Jamin Davis or Cole Holcomb gets hurt? So I, I, I'm still waiting for the linebacker at minimum, but I don't know when that's coming. Yeah, no, I mean, Lee Cutson made a play at some point. I can't remember what he did, but Chris Harris was all fired up about it. I remember. Um, but yeah, it's a very thin position um, to me with Jamin Davis. If he's going to play that outside spot, you know, I was looking at the numbers the other day of his percentage snaps. There are only four games that he played over 65% of the snaps last year of 16 because he missed a game, whatever. How many do you think uh, Cole Holcomb played over 65%? 65% of the total snaps? Yeah, for defense. Well, I would say all of them, unless yeah, well, except except for whatever he missed, right? Yeah, whatever like the, the game he missed, but yeah, like he may, like, I, it'd probably be more like did he miss sixty five plays? I think he basically, yeah. you know, he, yeah, he uh, the the lowest percentage that he had in the game was like eighty two percent. I think that was the Atlanta game where he got dinged up just a little bit. He was on the field all the time, and so they're gonna run with this two linebacker look, and they're really gonna trust Davis to to fill that weak side linebacker role. Can he stay on the field? Are they going to be alternating with him and David Mayo? And if they have to do that, I think that's a disaster. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see if we're talking about the way that Jamin Davis grows. I think that's what I'm most interested to monitor is whether the coaching staff trusts him to be out there all the time. And it, yeah. yeah. Oh, I'm, 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 I'm with you. Um, I, um, if you have any other observations from today, we didn't get to, I'm happy, I'm happy to hear them. Otherwise I was going to ask you, um, we just talked about the conventional players, most of the returning guys and some of the rookies, but there's always the random, you know, like Danny Johnson's out there, but he was a walk off or a, an undrafted free agent a few years ago. So was Cam Sims, you know, Isaiah Wright made the team as an undrafted guy. Jared Patterson kind of felt like a lock to make the team last year, but okay. Same thing. Um, doesn't have to be an undrafted guy. Could be somebody else. And I'll give you a name. And actually, I have the name of somebody who, I mean, basically, it's more not are you saying are they going to make the team, but you're kind of intrigued to see what they do. And I'll give you a name, but I, I'm curious, you, was there somebody for you either that stood out today or you're just kind of um, waiting to see? You know, this is my bad on this, but I have a number. Uh, 45 on offense. Uh, I think he's a fullback slash tight nope. end. Oh, boy. Uh, well, is Amari Rogers? No. There is an Amari Rogers. Uh, you you got to give me the um, keep vamp- vamping here while I look this up. What what but was he, standing out? Yeah, he made a really nice play uh, in, in the secondary, and I think he was running with Carson once too. Um, that was kind of surprising. And uh, but the guy generally, like I don't have a Tory McTire just yet. That was my guy last year in terms of being really impressed by. Um, I think that'll come during training camp. The guy I'm really interested to see. I mentioned earlier that I don't know. Oh, wait, know Four, 45. Uh, okay, this is interesting. 45, if I'm looking at the roster on the line, is Curtis Hodges, the tight end from Arizona State. And what's notable about that is I was, I forget who, uh, what show it was on, but I heard Logan Paulson 
um, I don't know. He was on one of the radio shows over the last couple of days and asked some version of this, like, what's the player you're kind of intrigued to see? He said this guy and Hodges had some like legit credentials at Arizona state, but you know, whatever yeah. he went undrafted. So that, that's notable um, that you went there. Yeah, no, I, I can't remember the exact play, but I just remember Pete Michael and I were just on the sideline and they were like, Whoa, you know, he's getting some run and he, he made a play, but so yeah, maybe he's this year's like semi Cogs or something, but the guy that people are just all excited about, but we'll have to see, but the guy I'll go on defense. I don't know where Derek Forrest fits in on this team. And I'm really interested to see, what kind of role he's in, what he's doing. Can he actually be on the field or is he more of a special teams guy? If he is a special teams guy. Like, are they going to have the numbers to keep him? It just seems like he was really lost in the shuffle last year because of the injuries and they have some room at safety. Maybe he becomes the third safety at some point rather than Apke or even Percy Butler. But I'm just really interested to see, whether this guy can actually play because I think they were pretty high on him last year before the injuries and it just, it never really materialized, but I don't know. I don't know if he's more Antonio Gandy golden where a injury filled rookie year just gets him off track completely or whether he still has something. Yeah. I, I noticed Forrest at one point, you know, uh, like you said, they're all wearing commanders on the back of their, um, on the on other name. Uh, and so, he wears 22 now, so you think of DeShazer. That, well, that was the other thing. He, yeah, he's wearing a different number. It was all, plus it's the first time we've seen these guys in a while. It was all kind of disorienting. So I looked at the list. I was like, oh, Derek Forrest just made a really nice reaction on a ball to make a, a nice play. And, you know, that we're all sort of anointing Percy Butler as the thing. Derek Forrest was the fifth round pick last year. I know he was viewed as a special teams guy, but, you know, Percy Butler, I don't, we'll see what he does. So there's room behind cam curl and bobby mccain for sure and uh, yeah I, I agree at least on a play or two uh he stood out to me um ironically i'll give you my guy and i'm not saying he's making the team i'm just talking about intrigue and it's ironic because you've just mentioned his name and you already pointed to somebody else at that position and that's antonio gandy golden because i was watching the tight ends today so logan thomas was on the on the far field uh, he was doing some sprinting, which was interesting to watch, but he was doing that. And then Samus Reyes was also there. I'm not, what was, I don't even know. Did we know so what his injury was? He had a hamstring injury late in the season that sidelined him. I think it was like the final week, if memory serves. Right. It's fu- right. But it, it's funny, though, how like one year goes away, right? Last year, Sam, other than like the star, Samus Reyes was like the most popular topic out there. And yeah. now I, I, he was on the side field. We didn't ask about it or anything. But, you know, as, as intriguing as he was last year, he's still the definition of a project. You mentioned Hodges. I don't know, Gandy Golden, I'm just watching him with the group, and you're just like, okay, look, he's pretty tall. <laughs> he's pretty athletic. I, I kind of wonder, it feels like if they didn't draft Cole Turner, I would like Gandy Golden's chances to stand out a little bit more, but it feels like they're kind of on the same corner. Yeah. Uh, and, and you know, until then you already mentioned Hodges, who looks like another interesting guy. This is on top of, of course, John Bates. So... I'm not saying this is like a, wow, what a deep group, but there's a bunch of players at this position now that are intriguing. And I am, you know, the Gandy Golden thing obviously hasn't worked, but he has the size, you know, he, he, you know, he's, he's, he can make some tough catches. It just hasn't worked. And I, you know, the blocking will be a question, but I, I'm sort of intrigued 
just to see where he goes, but maybe that position as a whole. I mean, just because there's a, there's a few different projects there. You mentioned Hodges as well that I think kind of stand out. Yeah, I think more. I think the way that they view that position is they see it, and I don't necessarily know if it's just for Washington. Maybe this is a league-wide thing, but it feels like they're willing to experiment at that position quite a bit. Whether it's Samus Reyes and developing him, whether it was it's converting Antonio Gandy Golden or bringing in someone like Cole Turner who can pass but can't really block just yet bringing in John Bates who can block but can't really catch and then they developed that or they thought he was an underrated pass catcher and they, you know, developed that. Um, You know, Pete Hayner's gone, but Juan Castillo is there. It just, it's a, it's a position because it's not very strong on their roster. It just feels a lot more in flat in flex. So like they're, they're willing to experiment. And I think that's just really interesting how how they, they go about that because you know, Logan Thomas turned out to be a hell of a find. I know he had played for some teams, but they really developed him once he was here. But they really tapped into his potential, and um seems like that they're trying to do that with others. So I'm interested to see how it plays out. Um, Absolutely. Um, Last thing, because uh, I just realized we kind of glossed over it a little bit, and that's the running backs. Um, You mentioned Brian Robinson was kind of, clearly the behind the, the the behind Antonio Gibson and McKissick another guy who changed his number and it's confusing um but Ron Rivera laid it out he said terms that fantasy football players will absolutely loathe he said it's probably going to be a committee now that seemed apparently obvious to me once they made the choice to draft Robinson in the third round and the specific role he's more of the hammer you have McKissick as this third down pass catcher and then you have Gibson as sort of this combination um gibson we spoke to him today he was he seemed genuinely enthused like about about all the options and look i don't think he's built to be the guy you're pounding up the middle 20 times a game um he's obviously had injuries the last two years he said he dropped some weight we've talked about that before on here um so i think that's going to be another huge component to all this how do they actually break down the workload and they always people talk about hot hands and all that stuff, but that only goes so far. Like you have to have a real plan at some point. What are you doing, and how that works? I I just say I it was discussed. Rivera mentioned committee. Gibson seemed happy about it. We didn't talk to the other two. Um, so yeah, I, I think that was um, again. It's not surprising. I just noting that 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 was said, and uh, that's part of the things to uh, we'll consider going forward. To go off of Gibson, why he seemed okay with it? I mean. They it wasn't necessarily a committee last year, but it was a split. You know, him and ask any Antonio Gibson fantasy holder. They were very annoyed by JD McKissick's presence, but you know, Gibson and McKissick are really tight and they like sharing the, the football like that. And they worked really well together. Washington's offense was better when the two of them were were both clicking and they, they had that threat of using one or the other and you know Brian Robinson, if that pick hits, he he's going to add another element to this, whether it is just powering the football in in short yardage situations or his size, it could wear defenses down as the, the game goes along. It, it's kind of a, a trio. It'll be a committee, but I, I see it more as a trio um, that I think each of those guys can be effective if Robinson actually can you know 
he lives up to kind of what he showed at Alabama that, that final yeah. year. Yeah. Now, now that I mean, I've said this before, but now that they have Robinson, it makes them bringing back the McKissick thing, all the drama about that, like slightly more like, wait, uh, <laughs> did you like, I know you couldn't have known you were going to draft Brian Robinson, or maybe that wasn't even in the plan, but like, if we could go back in time. I'd be like, well, I, I'm not saying McKissick's not good, but like, would you have been better off letting McKissick go and using that money to, I don't know, go do another linebacker. I, I'm just saying, I'll, I'll be yeah. curious to see if you can maximize all three. It's always great to say, you have all these options. You also have all a bunch of receivers now. They can't all get the ball and injuries. You know, you never know. So we'll see. It'll be it'll be a fun storyline, of course, to watch throughout the off season. Here uh, we got uh, this is it for OTAs for us this week in terms of going there. We'll be out there one day next week, one day the week after that. Then there's the mandatory mini camp, which it's technically three days, but typically we don't, it's only two. So we'll be out there for all. All of that, Matthew Paris will be out there with me throughout because he is just a hard uh, working, dedicated guy. When I can pull him away from watching uh, Top Chef and you know trying to break down the previews from the for the next week to see what's exactly going to happen, that's how he gets the edge on me. Um, at Matthew underscore Paris, anything else to uh, to note, or are you, you good? No, I mean. It was fun to talk about OTAs. We didn't get into Woodbridge or Dan Snyder, but that's what other guests are for. So, you know. Oh, you know what? No, I mean, you know, that was yesterday's news, I guess. I, no, I mean, yeah, I guess that's, that's a bad, a bad on, about me. Um, yeah, go ahead. What do you, what do you, what do you got? Oh, no, I mean, you know, um, people say that they aren't going to, to drive to the team if they move from Maryland. I, I'll believe it when I see it, you know. Well, as a person in Maryland, I'd believe it. Yeah, sure. I, I, I like I'll just say this because like forget put the Dan Snyder all, all that aside for a moment I get it there are people who live in Virginia who have to drive to Landover right and you're like eh, what'd be me okay but my, my my thing would be I don't care where you're coming from you have options to get to FedEx field there are multiple roads that get there you can take the metro it's not ideal it's like a three-quarter of a mile walk but you can do it yeah. there's here's your options to go to woodbridge at this point 95 and that's it there's no i mean i i, I don't know the vre i don't know what that is you can there, take telegraph get off it yeah i mean right like that's the thing there's like you're so limited i i it is i my, my basic stance on this topic is that i I just don't, I, I, I remain convinced that they are doing whatever they can to get DC or Maryland more engaged. And, you know, the second this, you know, all came out and the idea that uh, they had supposedly purchased the land or still open to not just some up where else in Virginia, but Maryland, DC, how does that make remote sense? It doesn't. It's just you're keeping your options open. This is a game of chicken. Maryland's come out with a, you know, middle finger offer, $400 million, but not a dime for the actual stadium, just for the other stuff that goes around it. And DC kind of like our hands are tied until yeah. something changes with the federal situation. They're just doing what they can to get other, these other places involved, knowing Virginia is interested I don't buy that this this is a thing unless it comes down to they literally have no other options. And then, well, I guess we'll do this. Yeah, I mean, Virginia is offering less in terms of public money. They're offering to pay for the stadium, but they don't want just a stadium. They want to build this to be a mini city, uh, to use a, a state senator's words. 
Um, they want the, the practice facility. They want the amphitheater, the apartments. They, they want to be able to control all that space. And so Maryland's approach is kind of the opposite of Virginia. They'll pay for the, the rest of the development area or part of it. And then they'll leave the, the financing of the stadium to the team. Whereas Virginia is saying, all right, here's $350 million, significantly lower than the $1 billion that they were originally going to offer. So, yeah, you know, I don't know what the team does uh, at this point. Neither option is, I think, particularly appealing for them. But, you know, for this, I mean, maybe it will hurt the product. I'm sure when they move to D.C., from D.C. to Landover, that that has hurt the product. But if the stadium is nice and if they're – obviously the football takes precedent, or precedent um, you know, that's what's going to matter. But I just I – I can I see people. Like if they – if the 49ers move to Santa Clara, man, like that, I don't know. I'm shaking my head disapprovingly at Matt's turn to the dark side here the, the santa clara thing at least right it's next to like san jose there's like an airport there like it's like an actual like community it's just not as big as san francisco public transit out to santa clara you can't do that to like arlington and texas i mean i know these these are different these are storied nfl franchises that are different in current standing than washington right now but i just i don't know if it's going to alienate the fans even further than what's already there the attendance problems if you are, are real for different reasons, I think. The the talk that I've heard and others have reported too is that they're gonna build want to build a dome and it's more like in the sixty thousand range than yeah. the ninety thousand range, right? Yeah, Automatically the size of that thing is going to probably take you out of certain bigger events that you may want. So that's already I'm not saying it's a wrong choice. I'm saying that's like a negative already for this thing. If you take it away from so far away from DC that the the camera can't realistically get a shot of the Capitol without us all knowing it's complete garbage. That is a negative. I don't care what, it, even if it's just sort of imagery, that is a negative. The league, I don't believe would want that. You have the nation's capital. I mean, it's different than the other places. So even if it's San Francisco or Dallas, you want that option there. Um, I, 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 I don't, I mean, look, the, the, the real answer is, they are in a world of hurt right now because their options are dwindling. They're not that exciting. And I think this is just another attempt out of a gambit to get Maryland and DC to act. Um, and maybe if you want to say, maybe it's a way to say to Virginia to, Hey, look, we're willing to play some business here. You guys got to give us some more or whatever, but like you know, to show Virginia, they're serious about possibly saying, I, I just believe that it's about trying to get these other sides to uh, act. And uh, you know, again, Maryland's offer, while it was maybe more in money, it wasn't about then Virginia, it wasn't about the stadium. It was about other stuff. And the other stuff is not even necessarily about what Dan Snyder wants. It's about, you know, stores and shops or hotels or whatever. Yeah, I, I think, I, I don't know. I think that would appeal to the surrounding area to be, I, I think that's kind of what they want if they can have a portion of that. I mean, you know how it all breaks down but sure i mean i mean also the other variable here is no matter what anybody is offering that's not enough to build the stadium and you know there's all this question about whether dan Snyder's cash flow whether that's actually impacting the say the terry mclaurin deal or not i don't know but 
it costs a lot of money to build a stadium and you know even four, 350 million dollars is not getting there matt has a look on his face like he really has a joke he wants to say so go ahead oh well uh two things one you wanted them to spend then well here they are they've spent a hundred million dollars or maybe not have depending on who you want to to hear from so there you go that that's where the money went uh and two, to quote uh, a Bill Simmons, any given Wednesday, billionaires should pay for their own fucking stadiums. So. Oh, I'm 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 in the stands, independent of we cover this team, or I'm of the stance that yes, I'm as a taxpayer, I don't want to pay for these things unless you want to tell me how there's truly a way that it's all like the money is coming back this way as opposed to they make the money. But other than that, no, I'm with you. I'm I'm generally in that stance of no, 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 like Buffalo they're paying for it buffalo cannot lose that team even if the forget the answer if the commanders disappeared and went moved to st louis or whatever dc will be okay you can't take buffalo you can't take the bills out of buffalo that would be an epic disaster so i get why they maybe decided to put some money up um all right good see i'm glad i asked if we had something else to say good good job on on that front um again at or at Matthew underscore Paris, P-A-R-A-S. What Read them at the Washington Times. Um, my guy, I appreciate it as always. Enjoy. I, I, I'm sure you're going to turn the NBA playoffs on if you're not watching it already. Uh, enjoy. We'll talk later. All right. Big thanks to Matt Paris for his time. Thanks to everyone here for checking out the podcast. Uh, you know, it's never quiet here in... Uh, <laughs> it's never quiet here in... Uh, where the heck are we? It's ever quiet here in the DMV covering this team. Um, what else is there to say? Nothing else. That's it for now. Ben State signing off. Until next time. <laughs>